16, verse 22 through 36. Let's stand for God's word. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two homers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil. And lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, eat that today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, This is a thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna forty years until they came to the inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Thus far, the word of our God. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we rejoice that you have spoken in your word. Father, we thank you for this ancient account that teaches an enduring lesson. Lord, even as we consider uh, the children of Israel in uh, their infancy, their, even in uh, ignorance and how they did sin, Lord, instruct our hearts that we would not sin in the matters of keeping of the Sabbath. Lord, open the Scriptures by Your Spirit. May they be proclaimed with clarity and may we understand them and apply them with understanding for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. We all understand that when a child is small, uh, we don't begin to teach them math like algebra and trigonometry. Some of you might still say, uh, that's, that's like Greek to me. Um, but we start out with one, two, three. And we start teaching them to count at an early age. You know, it's cute and adorable. They hold up their fingers and at some point they get that sense of 
I'm three. There's a growing understanding of the number system. Likewise, when we want to teach a child to read, we don't begin by opening a book and struggling to teach them to read. We start with their letters, A, B, C, that they would recognize the letters of the alphabet. Then once the basics are mastered, then we move them on to the more difficult things, always building on what is known and teaching more. And of course, that can go on through the years, even as I hope we are all lifelong learners. In our text this morning, we see God doing something like this. The Lord is teaching his people something that their fathers knew. God had created the heavens and the earth in six days and all very good. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh and seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Genesis chapter 2. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob understood this, and they observed the Sabbath. Even the sons of Jacob, before they went down into Egypt, they would have understood these things. Their fathers would have taught them. They would have been schooled in them. It would have been the practice of the household that they participated in weekly. But now we're looking at sons of Jacob who have been in Egypt so long that the Sabbath day has been forgotten. If you look back at verse 5, we read that God told them something that may not have made much sense to them at that point. So uh, verse 3, um, verse 5. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare that which, uh, prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So God's making a distinction. The sixth day, there's going to be twice as much manna available. He's going to provide twice as much. There's a reason behind that. But it is when we come to our, in our text to verse 22, we read that they went out to gather manna on the sixth day, and they found it as the Lord said it would be. There was twice as much. And the people are being taught their ABCs of Sabbath day keeping. Here it is. It's the day before the Sabbath, and they're making preparation on the day before the Sabbath for the day of rest. So soon after being liberated, it's time for them to go to Sabbath school. It's what the church used to call Sunday school or Christian education that you children are involved in. That was once what it was, I think, even when I was a child, we referred to Sunday school as Sabbath school. Maybe I'm not quite that old. But so soon after being liberated, the Lord is teaching them. This is critical. He is teaching them one of the most important doctrines in all of Scripture. You remember that uh, I told you that the book of Exodus is about God making himself known. And one of the ways he's making himself known is through the Exodus, through the tabernacle, but it is also through the Sabbath. And we've just begun to touch on it. And we're going to see this again and again right through to the end of the book of Exodus. God is making himself known through the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week. God will have his people keep one day out of seven holy to the Lord. God has given his people a day of rest and worship 
And Israel will soon come to Mount Sinai, and there they will learn that this is one of the Ten Commandments that God will give them. But this is not a new commandment. This is not a new custom. This is not a new practice. Our Westminster Catechism reminds us, asks the question, which day of the seventh have God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath? The answer is given, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath, and the first day of the week ever since to be continued to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. Sabbath keeping. Keeping of one day of seven by God's appointment is one of the most important commandments. And violations of it, that is, Israel's breaking of that commandment, it's one of the reasons they were punished so often. If you've read your Old Testament with any sort of um, discernment, if you've paid attention, you will notice that the matter of Sabbath keeping is one of the largest themes in the Old Testament. This morning we are going to be peeking in on nursery class, if you want to put it that way. Nursery school for Sabbath keeping. The lessons here are taught of God. God gives a rebuke. But no one is punished at this point. They are early on. And though rebuked, God is yet merciful to them. That will change in the course of time. The reason they spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon is because they failed to keep the seventh year of Jubilee, a Sabbath year, every seven years. And God required it from them over the course of the 70 years of captivity. The theme for us is it's a bit the same as what we were saying, but it's, it's a little bit different. So setting aside the Lord's Day for rest and worship is not a lesson of ABC for the church. The church is in its maturity. We have come to a mature state. And the whole of the scripture underscores how vitally important Sabbath keeping is. But there can always be baby Christians in the church. They need to learn about this important biblical principle, this, this law of God. And like so many other things, and we've talked about this recently, we need to be reminded again and again and again. Sometimes we drag ourselves out of bed in the morning because it's Sunday. And we head out the door with little zeal, more of a habit. And yet as we begin to use the day, as God is appointed, we find the blessings. We find the delight, even as Isaiah celebrates in Isaiah 58. I'm going to use four main headings. The Lord's command for Sabbath preparation. The Lord's command for Sabbath keeping. And then we're going to look at some Sabbath breakers. And then we're going to look at the manna as a testimony of God's glory. So we begin and we'll spend more of our time on these earlier points. The Lord's command for Sabbath preparation begins in verse 22. These verses, are, they're pretty straightforward. They, they really require very little explanation. You've heard them read, and so it was in the sixth day. They went on and gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. Remember, the command was on the other days they gathered omers. That is about two quarts for each person in the household. 
But this morning they went out and there was twice as much, and so they gathered twice as much for each member of the family. Um, it's interesting to me. It's just, oh, the elders missed something, and, and they, they come to report to Moses like the people are up to something. And all the rulers of the congregation that came and told Moses. Now, maybe I'm reading that wrong. Maybe he's, they're actually telling Moses the people are doing the right thing. It's not very clear, but the elders are noticing what the people are doing and the report of the matter to Moses. And then Moses says to them, this is what the Lord said. So so it seems as though they're missing it. And Moses said, no, this is what the Lord said we do. This is what was reported back in verse 5, that the Lord would provide for them the day before the Sabbath. Verse 23, Moses instructs the elders so that they can then return and teach the people. Look at what it says. So he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the Sabbath day, rest, a holy Sabbath. So they've got twice as much. They went out, found twice as much, gathered twice as much. But they haven't been told this yet. Here's, here's more of the ABCs. They're, they're in Sabbath school. They're being taught about the Sabbath. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil implied today and lay up for yourselves all that remains today to be kept until the morning. The Lord's making provision for the Sabbath day on the day before the Sabbath day. It's an enduring principle. It's one that our catechisms teach us that we should make preparations for the Lord's day as we now have it since Christ arose. We should make preparations the day before so that we can enjoy the day and use it to the full. It's interesting. Uh, one of the commentators I was reading pointed this out. You know, in verse 23, when we have the noun Sabbath, this is the first time that it's used in the Hebrew Bible. I thought, wow, all the way this far into Exodus, that's the first time we have the Sabbath word. But it's not the first time the principle has been in the Scripture. The principle has been there since the week of creation. For we find in that God created all things in six days and then He rested on the seventh day and therefore sanctified. He set that day apart as a special day. He doing no work. That Adam, our first father, should understand that the seventh day was holy to the Lord. A special day. A day for rest and worship. So this is the first time a name is assigned to that day. Isn't that incredible? I, I really find that quite remarkable. Maybe that's just me, but it's just it's amazing that this word doesn't show up until so far into the Scriptures. But what are these ways that are mentioned here? Well, the next day is a Sabbath rest. No work is to be done on it. It wouldn't be much of a day of rest if indeed you're working on the day of rest. It's also a day holy to the Lord, a day set apart from all the others, a day unique. It's a day that's given as a gift to us as God's people, indeed to all people. It's a special day. I'm older than most of you. There's a 
one president who outdates me a little bit, and I'm sure she can remember it, and maybe some of you also can remember. I remember when on Sunday, everything was closed up, except maybe a handful of gas stations. Um, no restaurants were open except at the hotels. Why? Because the people that were staying there needed to be able to eat. But the town just closed up. And why? Where were people at? They were gathered together in various places of worship around the community. And then they went home and they spent time with their families. Uh, what they did you know, under every roof varied from house to house, I'm sure. But that was in my brief lifetime. Sometimes I don't feel like it's so brief, but in reality of the scheme of things, it's a brief lifetime. That's all been lost. It was a day of rest. Solomon celebrates that. He talks about you working life under the sun, doing your labor, gaining your bread, and, and then resting, having the day to rest. But that's all been lost, and we've lost so much. Now, Moses does not assume that when he tells the people it's a day holy to the Lord that, that they're going to understand what that means. When he, when he says it's a special day, he doesn't assume. He gives very specific instructions of what this means. He says, on this day, the sixth day, bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And, and the people were also had a freedom to carry out that command. If, if they just wanted to leave some of the manna as it was, and keep it to the next day and eat it, I guess you could say, raw, that was fine too. You see that in the verse. It says, bake, uh, this is verse 23, bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourself all that remains to be kept until the morning. And you see what the next verse says? Remember what happens the first time they gathered the manna and some people kept it overnight till the next day? It bred worms. Worms were in it and it stank. But Moses makes the point in verse 24, so they laid it up till morning as Moses had commanded. And it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Just while we're on that point, notice later, Aaron is told to take and put an omer in a jar and set it before the testimony to the Lord. And I can assure you that manna never bred worms or stank. It was there as a testimony of God's faithfulness kept throughout the generations. If my memory is correct, that ends up in the Ark of the Covenant. It's a testimony to God's people down through the generations of God's faithfulness during this period of 40 years. But the Lord's instructing them. He's giving them instruction on how to keep the day. Um, it's implied that they're going to eat a normal meal on those days, but the preparation for the Sabbath day was made on the day before. You shall keep it, he says, that is the extra manna, until the next day. That language, you shall keep it, is the, uh, the same command that, was, uh, that Israel was given concerning the Passover lamb. Remember how they were to do that leading up to the Passover? You were supposed to go out and pick one a, a kid, a male goat or a male lamb that was without spot or blemish and you were to keep it until it's the same exact language they should have been reminded that they're to keep it until the, the day of the Passover here this is 
the day before, and it was kept until the next day. And preparation was being made for a special day, even as the lamb was gathered for a special day, the Passover meal. Notice the, the liberty God gives them in it. He supplies them manna. They can boil it, they can bake it, or they can just keep it raw and eat it that way if they would prefer. <coughs> These things are all according to God's timing. Well, the second thing we see is the Lord's command for Sabbath keeping is given. The Lord is about to show them His power over their daily bread. In verse 19 we read, Let no one leave any of it till morning. And when they did, what happened? Some of them left it until the morning and they bred the worms and stank. Moses was angry with them. But in verse 24 we read, they kept some of it. They were commanded to keep some of it. And it didn't stink. And there were no worms in it. God is showing His ability, His power over our daily bread. His power to provide our food and to preserve it. We're taught to pray. We prayed you know, just minutes ago. Give us this day our daily bread. This is tied in. God is doing that. He's giving them each day a daily bread. On the Sabbath day, He gave a double portion. And He's keeping the seventh day's portion for them. Provided on the sixth, He keeps it until they use it on the seventh day. And we see God's ability to provide for His people no matter what. And you see how almost like little children, Moses is teaching them according to the Lord's will. I wonder, children, maybe you wonder too. You suppose there were some of the, the young boys, young girls in the household that they, they remember that day when their parents gave some extra and the next morning they smell that stench and on the night of the day before the Sabbath they see their parents putting some before they woke up in the morning and they had a curiosity. I would. I'd just be like a kid. You know, it's like, let's go see. Let's go check the jar. Is it still okay or are there worms in it again? That was pretty gross, wasn't it? I know some of you boys. You know, I know how I could be. And there been a curiosity. And, and maybe even amongst the adults, too. This is all so new to them. This is their first week. They're just learning. They're so young in the Lord. They're so young in the ways of the Lord and the provision of the Lord. Everything that's coming at them is just happening. It's all for their instruction. The Lord is teaching them. He also teaches them that they're not supposed to go out of their houses on the Sabbath day looking for manna. Look at verse 25. Moses said, Eat today... For today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Because remember, every morning when the dew dried off and lifted, there it was. It was there laying on the ground for them to gather up. But he's saying, on the Sabbath, it's not going to happen that way. There's, there's something unique about the seventh day. You won't find it out there. So don't go out looking for it. He instructs them in that. There will not be any of it in the field. What's interesting in verse 25 is the word today is used three times. Look at the verse. Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. He's focusing on the day, the significance of the day, the uniqueness of the day, the Sabbath day. 
And verse 26 contains, that is the first, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. This phrase, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, it becomes, it's just like an idiom concerning the Sabbath. It's uh, related to the, the Sabbath laws. As a matter of fact, six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, that phrase is used again in Exodus 20 and 23 and 31 and 34 and 35. Do you start to get what's going on here? What have I told you that one of the things the Lord's making himself known through the book of Exodus is the Sabbath. And those so this phrase, six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day it reoccurs. This language teaches us this main theme. That the, the, this passage... Make, hear this, this passage is not about the manna. It's about the Sabbath. And ultimately it's about the Lord. That what the Lord appoints, what the Lord commands, should be obeyed and kept. And notice that they're being taught this Sabbath keeping, and they're still miles from Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments have not been given yet. But we know that the Ten Commandments are written on the law of the heart, even when Adam was created. And here they have to be instructed. They're being brought back to that which the Lord has given. We read verse 26. We hear echoes of what we will soon hear in chapter 20 of the fourth commandment. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh, the Sabbath, there will be none. Hear echoes of the seventh day is hallowed to the Lord. Some application. How important is the Sabbath day? Now we now in the New Testament, you know, with Christ's completed work on the cross, the Lord has shifted the day to the first day of the week. We call it the Lord's Day. But it's still the same principle. One day out of seven has been given by God to us. How important is that? I hope that you're thinking in your mind an answer of, well, it's incredibly important. Then ask the second question, why is this so important? Is, is, is the Sabbath day more necessary for God or for us? Well, clearly the answer, it's, it's for us. And why is it so important for us? Why is it important for us to keep it? If you will, let me put it this way. I'll make a statement. It's because we live in Egypt. We are surrounded by a people that care nothing for the commandments of God. Even though the Lord God commands all men everywhere to keep all his commandments. And they will answer on the day of judgment as guilty for breaking his law and having no redeemer to stand in their place. That we are a people redeemed by God. And we are, we are redeemed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ who enables us to keep the commandments. And it's important for us. And here we are in the world, and we can so quickly lose sight of the things that are eternal, the things that matter the most. How often did you have encounters this week as a believer trying to follow Christ? How often did you have encounters that pulled you down, became something of a drag and a snare and as you tried to make forward progress, as you were seeking to live for the glory of the Lord. 
Can we even count them? And how many times were we completely unaware of them? And indeed, to flip it around, how often did you find out there in the world there were those that were encouraging you to press on and serve the Lord? Doesn't happen. That's what we gather. That's what we need to gather on the Lord's Day. We need the Sabbath day. We need it to come apart. We need to keep the Sabbath as the Lord has appointed for us to come together to worship Him, to be reminded of things that are eternal, the things that are the matter that, that we come before Him and in the in the course of our worship, there's the abundance of the means of grace to strengthen us and refresh us. That we're reminded of the gospel that in Christ Jesus our sins are forgiven and we are washed. By the blood of the Lamb. And the Lord has given us a day. One day out of seven. For that to take place. Well. Guess what? There are some Sabbath breakers. I don't, I don't know if this is the first time we've seen big time violations. You know, We saw the foreman that got bent out of shape at Moses after he went to, to Pharaoh. Right? And. And all of a sudden, they got to go gather straw, and they were a little bit torqued about that. But here we have pretty specific commandments are given, wouldn't you say? Uh, this, this is not difficult language to understand, is it? And yet, what do we find happens? Look, verse 27. Now, it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, that had been my little brother. Or maybe your brother thinking, no, that had been my big brother. <laughs> You know, I mean, you, there was one of us in our household that seemed to always be the one in trouble. Well, so it was in Israel. There was some of the people that went out on the seventh day to gather, and guess what? They found none. Why? Because that's what God said. He's, he's teaching them. And yet there's always that, that stubborn bunch. It's interesting that Ezekiel writing centuries later about this very event, has this to say in Exodus, Ezekiel 20, in verse 10. Therefore I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness, and I gave them my statutes, and I showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths to be assigned between them and me, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbath. Then I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness and consume them. So this is the first time we see this rebellion against the Sabbath commandment. That's just been given. Um, I look out here and I, I look at some of you. You've got little ones right now in the home. And uh, there's many other you who once had little ones. You, you get this. You can look right there at that little child and say, don't touch it. And they will. Right? Or leave that alone. And they're going to go for it. And it's not because they're little children. It's because they're children of Adam. And here you see it amongst some of the Israelites, some of them. And the passage in Exodus, I mean, in Ezekiel suggests there was more. It wasn't just a few that if refused to obey the Lord God. 
and they refuse to keep his commandments. We could put it this way. The, the Lord is giving them a test on the ABCs of the Sabbath. Some of them failed. They flunked the exam. They totally blew it. Look at verse 28 again. How long, he says, do you refuse to obey me? And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Moses. He says this to Moses. Why? Because Moses is the Christ type. He's like the high priest in their midst before the Lord has established the priesthood. And so he speaks to Moses and he's speaking to Moses about the people. Did Moses fail on this matter? No, but Moses represents the people. And so God speaks to Moses that he would in turn then speak to the people the message of God. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Does this language sound familiar? Look back at chapter 10 and verse 3. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Who's Moses talking to there? Pharaoh. And the thing he says to say to Pharaoh is the same thing that the Lord tells him to say to the people. How long will you refuse to obey my commandment? You see, Israel is like Egypt. They're full of Egypt because they're all sinners. And it's in us too. The word goes out to us. How long will you refuse to obey me? This is why every week we come and we have our time when we look at the law of God. And reminded of our failures and keeping our sin and keeping the commandments. That we would turn to Christ for God's mercy, which he is quick to extend to all who believe. God warned them of the dangers of this hardness of heart. If you look at verse uh, chapter 15, verse 26, we find this is the Lord said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and keep and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on Egypt, on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. What what's implied in that? If you refuse to obey me, if you don't keep my statutes, then I will put on you the diseases that I put on Egypt. And indeed, if you go to Deuteronomy 28, you find that re-declared again. Since the children of Israel fail to obey, the Lord teaches them the lesson again. This is an enduring lesson, even unto our day. Look with me at verse 29. See, for the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. He's... Declaring it again. How do we learn? Tell them, tell them, you tell them, you tell them. That's exactly what the Lord's doing. And back in verse 4, we're told the Lord, He said, I'm going to test them. And here they're having a test, and some have failed the exam. And the Lord said, How long will you fail to keep my commandments? Let's think of it positively. The Sabbath, the Lord's day is for your good. It's for your good. It's not a negative thing. Just think about that. No work. A day of rest. A day to gather for worship. 
and the marvelous goodness of God to his people that he gathers us together. This is not a day to dread. This is a day of great joy and thanksgiving and much celebration. The Lord established it to at the end of the week of creation and blessed it. As a matter of fact, what are we looking forward to? We're looking for the saints' everlasting rest. What is it that awaits us when we depart this world and enter into the God's presence in heaven? It is an eternal Sabbath. You have a problem with keeping the Sabbath today. I mean, not, not, you, we have a problem keeping the Sabbath. If you have a problem with the Sabbath, you find the Sabbath odious, obnoxious, irritating. Why would you want to go to heaven? Seriously. If you're having a problem with the Sabbath day today, it suggests that there's a heart problem. But let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ who can correct that heart problem. Because he came to save a people, to bring into the Father's presence, to enjoy an eternal day of rest and worship and blessing and bliss in the presence of God. That's what Jesus came to give us. And he is teaching us week by week. We're in the school of Christ week by week as we have the Lord's Day, as we come together. We're being prepared for heaven. The Lord in his covenant kindness wants his people to know this blessing. Verse 30 then records that at least for a season, the people accepted and enjoyed God's gift for them. So the people rested on the seventh day. I, I like that. Remember earlier we had some of the people went out on the Sabbath day. This seems to be more encompassing. So the people rested. And for this moment, it's like, okay, they got the lesson. They, they, they pulled together. They're, they're keeping the commandment. They're enjoying the blessing of the Sabbath day. That's an encouraging way that that section ends, though we know it does not endure. Let me ask you some questions before we go to our final point. I asked actually earlier, are you grateful for the Lord's Day? You call it a delight, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 58. Do you use the day wisely? Is it a day of worship for you as well as a day of rest? Or, to borrow from the language of Exodus, you grumble and murmur. I know sometimes with children, young people, we that can be a problem. I believe I had that in my childhood. Although that, that those days are far behind, it's hard for me to think exactly just how well I behave. You know, I tend to be harder on myself maybe than I should be. I just assume I, there were times I grumbled and complained. It's like, arr, arr, because we're sinners. But the point is, let us delight in this day. It's the Lord's day. It's the day that Jesus rose again. Without Jesus' resurrection on the first day of the week, there would be no Lord's day. There would be no fulfillment of the Sabbath day. There would be no salvation. There would be no eternal rest in heaven. There would be no forgiveness for sins. There would be no washing and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. It is what Christ has accomplished that we celebrate on this day. And we need to come together and be reminded of it and remind one another of it. And we need to sing of it and celebrate it because it is the whole of life. Eternal life in Christ. 
Well, we're going to just wrap up real quickly these last few verses. What we find is manna then becomes a testimony of God's glory. And I'm alluding to what we had in the earlier sermon. These final verses give us a summary of some things that were done. That uh, some of this manna was to be gathered up. And it's interesting, we finally get a description of it. We've been, been talking about manna for a little while, right? And the people eat it. But notice at verse 31, And the house of Israel called the name manna. And what did I tell you? That's in the Hebrew literally means, what is it? And when they saw it, there was a question asked, what is it? And their question became then a noun that labeled it, manna. And it was like white coriander seed. Now notice, it's not, it's not saying it is coriander seed. He said it's like it, apparently in its appearance, uh, maybe in its size. It was like white coriander seed. Listen to how it tastes. I assure you, this is not coriander seed. If you've ever bitten, bitten into coriander seed, you know this is true. It t- the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Doesn't that sound delectable? This is heaven-sent food. It, oh, it must have been incredible. I bet you it was better than Turkish delight. Some of you may be going, oh, come on, Pastor, that's maybe a stretch. Or, or better than baklava. Yeah. <laughs> this is heaven-sent food. It tasted like wafers with honey. I think of those things because that sort of sounds familiar, but God sent us every day, six days a week, for 40 years. And so then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer, that it be kept for the generations, that they may see the bread which I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Why? Because they needed to be reminded of the Lord's faithfulness through those 40 years. Generations are going to come that will not know of it. They didn't experience. And God wants this testimony set before them. So Moses says to Aaron, take a pot, put an omer of the manna in it, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. This is being kept for the future generations to say, see, this is what the Lord has provided. I will tell you, I don't know how to answer that. Because you know where it ended up? In the Ark of the Covenant. Where was the Ark of the Covenant? It was in the Holy of Holies. And who went in the Holy of Holies? The high priest once a year. What does that tell us though? That the high priest had responsibility to teach the people of the Lord's faithfulness, of this reality, of what God had done, even as we are to do so. And so the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron obeyed. He laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel, this is like a summary we're we're at the beginning of this 40-year journey right now. But Moses, or perhaps Joshua later, inserts this. I'm, I'm perfectly of one mind comfortable to think Moses put this here later. The children of Israel ate the manna for 40 years. That's incredible. Really, stop and think about it. For 40 years, the Lord failed not. Now, let's just wait a minute. I look at you, and there's quite a few that are over 40. And has the Lord been faithful to you? Yes, he has been. So it shouldn't surprise us. And they ate for 40 years. Notice how Moses tells us when it ended. Until they came to the inhabited land that is on the border of the Jordan, they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And it's at that point that Moses is gathered. Gathered. He dies and is buried on the mountain. And then, 
it almost seems out of place. And an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. And then you want to go, well, what's an ephah? Well, it's another unit of measure. Apparently, it's a pretty good size measure. Maybe something like a bushel basket or something a little smaller. But an omer, the Lord provided. And so the Lord deemed these sort of minutiae things to be important that the church know, that we know. But the great takeaway is the Lord is faithful. I know, as we conclude, the Lord's Day, keeping of the Lord's Day is not popular in the church. I'm talking about the church of our land today. It is not popular. Is it any wonder then that the condition of the church is anemic and weak? That so often those who are in the church look so little different from the world. That that the light of the gospel burns so dimly when the world hears about the church that they, they mock and deride us because we live so little differently than them. Is it possible that we trace it back to the fact that we don't value the Sabbath day? We're not keeping the Sabbath day? We're not using the Sabbath day to the glory of God? As I've said before, and I will say again, the keeping of the Sabbath is nearly the number one sin that got Israel in trouble again and again and again. And it's really no less different in our day. Let us... Indeed, I press each one of you to look at the Lord's day with fresh eyes. Approach it with a humble heart and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you the beauties and the blessing of the day. The Lord's day is a day of great celebration. What do we do when we come around Easter? We come in for that little season and say, He is risen. And we answer, He is risen indeed. That's true. Every single Lord's Day we should celebrate that. That's why we're here. He is risen. He was a victorious king. He has triumphed over sin, death, and the grave. He has set us free from sin, the power of sin. And He will deliver us someday from the very presence of sin. All of this was accomplished in the fact that He rose again on the first day of the week. We celebrate this day. Oh, what a glorious day. How dare that we should devalue it. How dare that we should count it as of no account. It is such a marvelous day. And we need it. And we need to gather. And we need to encourage and compel our, our brothers and sisters out there in the community that are neglecting the Lord's Day. Because they're part of the church. We just heard Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 say, The hand cannot say to the eye, I have no need of thee. They are having an impact on us as well. And let us be advocates. Let us be spokespeople. Let us be those who encourage the church largely to keep the day to the Lord and enjoy the blessings of it. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we are reminded of that on this day. And it is on this day that the Lord meets with us uniquely as we gather for corporate worship. And he blesses us. He's here. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've bestowed upon us as your people. We thank you that you brought us together even this Lord's Day. And that you have instructed our hearts. Lord, it's surprising to me to find this lesson so early on in the book of Exodus when we're still yet chapters from the giving of the law. And yet you open the pages of Scripture with the importance 
of the one day out of seven. That we as your creatures would remember our creator and worship you. For there is no other God, as we heard earlier. You alone are God and you alone are worthy. And Lord, we thank you that we have a day where we can be reminded and that we can come together and we can lift up and magnify the name of the one true and living God. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.